I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. Working as a programmer is more than just writing code. Emily Freeman, developer advocate at Kickbox, guides us through a path to code craftsmanship. We talked about what makes great code and other human aspects like mentorship and networking. Emily also talked about technical interviews and types of risks that we can take on the job. Before we get on with the show, I'd like to thank Blind for being a new sponsor of the show. Blind is an anonymous app for tech workers to discuss, debate, and talk about compensation, corporate policies, workplace harassment, and more. I've used it for over a year and find it really helpful. There are about 50,000 companies active on Blind. Check if yours is there and connect with other employees. Blind is available for iOS, Android, and online at teamblind.com. Go to teamblind.com to download the app. Thanks to Blind for being a sponsor of the show. Emily Freeman, developer advocate at Kitbox, is joining us today. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Today, we're going to be talking about a couple of things like writing code, mentors, job interviews, among other things. But first, I want to start with something that I saw on your website where you say you like to focus on the human side of tech. So I want to ask you, what types of things does this encompass, the human side of tech? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so for me, a lot of the problems with that we deal with today are the same sorts of problems that we dealt with 30 years ago. Even though that the technology has evolved at a breakneck speed. So what's the cause of that, right? And I think it's because our tech evolves much faster than the humans, right? We're, we're still um, the problem in a lot of ways. And so I try and focus on things that I think will um, help that area, you know, getting people to work better together. Uh, that includes being empathetic and open and uh, making people feel like they belong on the team. And that can be applied to anything, right? Uh, when we talk about like diversity and inclusion, it's not just about social diversity, which is diversity of race and gender, sexual orientation, things like that. Um, but it's also about diversity of like experience and thoughts and ideas and making sure that those, all those different perspectives can still communicate with one another because diversity can cause conflict. You know, um, and so kind of mitigating that while accelerating our tech is my goal. Another thing that I've seen you talk about in the past is this idea of great code and what makes great code. Can you talk a little bit about this? Sure. I mean, so there's lots of different approaches to this, but I think my in my Dr. Seuss um, talk, it's the Dr. Seuss Guide to Code Craftsmanship, and I talk a lot about there's a there's a rhythm to software development and it's something like uh, you know your scrum master or whomever will give you a ticket you're like okay this feature or bug that's pretty easy whatever I'll be done by 
you know, mid-morning. <laughs> um, that, you know, time comes and goes. It's lunch. You're still struggling. Then you're like, uh, this is harder than I expected. And then you kind of hit this wall sometimes where it's like, well, this isn't behaving at all like I thought it would. And then you have this sort of light bulb moment often, which is, oh, how did, how did I not think of that? That was so obvious. Or I've actually literally been in the wrong file before, which is always humbling. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and then when you finally finish it, it's a bit like you're a god, right? You're just this, this god of all things machine. And so that causes a lot of emotional ups and downs, right? Like development can be lonely, grueling work because we, we literally sit in front of a computer and we punch in new commands all day long and then it yells at us when we don't code well enough. And that can become grating and tiresome. Uh, so I think what makes great code is the people who are coding it uh, and appreciating that and how hard we work and just how amazing what we do is and how it's, it's literally changing lives. I mean, we're, we're reaching a point in tech where there aren't non-tech companies anymore. Banks are tech companies now. Clothing companies are tech companies now. And so I think it's really important to keep the human aspect of that in mind. You mentioned this is part of one of the talks that you gave, which is the one that I saw, the Dr. Seuss Guide to Code Craftsmanship. And in this talk, well, actually, I want you to tell the story, just sort of how this talk came to be, why Dr. Seuss Guide. Dr. Seuss was not a programmer or, or anything, so I just, so just wanted <laughs> no. to yeah, get, give a little bit of context of this. Definitely. So um, I, it came from just my general frustrations uh, sitting alone with a computer uh, day in and day out. So it, I think I kind of reached a low point and I was just like, what, this is bullshit. <laughs> Why am I feeling like this? And so I have an actual, I have a writing background before I was a developer. I was a freelance writer and a ghostwriter. Um, and so I think very... Like, when I think of examples of things, they're often historical or literary in nature. Uh, and I just thought, like, well, Dr. Seuss has great advice, right? And I have I have a three-year-old daughter. We read Dr. Seuss regularly. Um, she loves his sort of rhymes and odd language. She still actually calls camels two hump wumps, which I'm not going to correct because I think it's hilarious. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so... <laughs> You know, it's just, uh, it just comes from my own experience developing and uh, kind of thinking about what I want to hear. Um, and so we kind of go through Dr. Seuss's advice, like find a mentor and publicize your failure, examples like that. Yes, and I want to focus on some of these points that you touch in your, in your talk. And one of the things you recommend is the mentor be outside of work. What is the reason for this? Yeah, so... There's a few reasons, but mostly humans are motivated by different things, and we all have conflicts of interest. Uh, and so I think it's it's important to recognize where those conflicts can start to impact each other. Um, and so my example that I give in the talk is that your boss will likely never recommend that you ask for a $20,000 raise um, 
just because that's a lot of money out of budget, right? Like they have other concerns, fiduciary concerns to the company. Um, and their motivation is to pay you as little as possible and still retain you and, and get you to keep up your output. And so that doesn't acknowledge the fact that you may be underpaid for your market and industry. Uh, and so someone outside of your work will have a lot clearer view of the industry as a whole and be able to prioritize your professional and personal well-being and ambitions when they're sort of advising you. You have several mentors. What is an example where a mentor helped you or guided you? Yeah, so there's like obviously the very technical side where someone with 20 years experience uh, is going to be able to advise me technically in a way that someone with five years experience just isn't, right? They've seen more. Um, they have seen the sort of evolution of our systems and how we develop our actual processes and tools. And so that knowledge is irreplaceable, right? Like that's fantastic. But there's also this, you know, just advising on interacting with other people. There's advising, a lot of my mentors help with my talks and make sure that uh, my ideas aren't absolutely out of line or anything. Um, some of my talks talk about management. Well, I've never been a engineering manager, right? So I've managed other types of teams, but not engineers. So having that sort of check really helps me. What are some of the things that you look for in a mentor? I look for people who are kind. I look for people who are have experience or perspective that I don't, you know, because you, we all have blind spots. And so recognizing where your blind spots are and then adding people into your life that can fill those and provide you perspective for those is invaluable, right? Um, this goes for hiring too, right? You... You want to make sure that you can hire people who fill the things that you're not great at. Um, and if you think you're great at everything, uh, surprise, I'm sorry to break it to you, you're not. But um, yeah, so what I look for is perspective. I look for people who are willing to spend time with me, right? It, it takes a, a level of time commitment and emotional commitment. Um, and I want people who value me as both a person and a professional. Do you always set a specific amount of time, like 60 minutes or 30 minutes, or is it just whatever questions you have and ho however long that takes? Yeah, so I, I've had it both ways, right? Uh, when I was going through school and actually learning how to develop, I met with a guy, Roland Lee, um, who I owe an extraordinary... <laughs> um, gift to. Uh, he helped me every Wednesday. We sat down for an hour and talked about whatever problems I was going through and the technical bits of it. And he helped me process um, things I didn't understand in that way. Now it's more ad hoc. So it's if, um, if I run into an issue, I'll shoot a message out. And if it's not a two second answer, then we'll jump on a call. Um, Matt Rogers is someone I rely on heavily for that type of thing. And not just me, but a lot of my friends. He spends an extraordinary amount of time mentoring people. Uh, and I don't think he realizes the kind of impact he's made on the industry. But yeah, Matt Rogers at GitHub is, is a gem of a human being. 
One of the other points that you you've talked about before is the importance of networking and connecting. So I'm curious from your experience, what strategies have worked for you when when networking? Do you go to meetups or does it just happen more organic? Yeah, so networking, I think, um, I don't love the word, right? Because I think it turns people off. Uh, and so if you're not, you know, this sort of, sales guy with slicked back hair, um, the word networking can feel really yucky. But I think it's a skill just like any other skill, right? So if we apply growth mindset to that and we say that we can we can build out um, web applications and systems and all these things, surely we can learn how to communicate uh, with strangers in this way. So I like to think of it as connecting with people. And I think with networking, it's definitely a skill you're going to develop over time and through practice. If you, you know, absolutely hate it, I think playing to your strengths is important. If you're super introverted or you get overwhelmed in crowds, don't go to big parties, right? Ask ask people on Twitter out to coffee and have those one-on-one meetings. That's going to be a lot more valuable to you. Um, and so playing to your strengths is important, but also it's not like a collection of business cards game. You know, I think I've seen people... They go to events and then they come back with 500 business cards and they're like, look what I did. But uh, if you did that within two hours, you, you didn't connect with anyone, right? You didn't create a lasting impact or, or you didn't uh, build rapport with anyone. And so it's much more valuable to, to me if you go and talk to one to three people and really talk to them, right? Like find out what they're interested in, what their background is, where they work, what they're passionate about, what they wish they could spend more time on. Um, These are the things that are really going to help you build rapport and build those relationships in the industry. Let's talk about a different point now, which is this notion of keep learning. One of the things you said is your job is not to pump out 40 hours of code every week. Can you talk a little bit about this? Definitely. Yeah. So I think some people think that our job is only measured by our actual coding output, right? So if you're not closing whatever number of tickets a week, that you're not a great developer. Um, I strongly disagree with that. I think that our value is that we are experts in software development and engineering. Um, And so when you really start to think of yourself like that, it's less about um, how much you're turning out and more about your value and contributions to your workplace, right? So yes, we need to create output, but you are not measured only by your sort of GitHub commit map or whatever. Um, And I think some people get really into those types of streaks and then get really disappointed when it ends because you took a day off. But it's really important to take a day off or it's really important to sit down with product and talk about what is and is not possible. Those things are super valuable um, and we, we would be better off to treat ourselves as subject matter experts, increase our education and our continuous learning in our industry Um, And to keep teaching other people, right? If you're a senior engineer, one of your most important roles is to be that mentor, 
to help level people up into that senior mid-level role. For those people that are listening that are just thinking, ah, that's all I do, all, all I'm doing is writing code every week and all my time is going to that. What are some of the things that they could be considering learning while on the job? Yeah, so follow your interests and um, talk to your boss about what the continuous education budget is, right? If, if your company is not providing you with regular education or a conference budget, that's a problem. Part of your value is that you stay up to date with things. And I mean, if you look at <laughs> our industry, let's take JavaScript, just, just JavaScript, right? The speed at which that language and ecosystem is evolving is mind-boggling. And you can choose a track, but I mean, there's no way to be an expert in both React and Vue and ORXJS and all these other things, right? But if you're interested in one of those things, go play with it. Ask your boss to spend two hours a week. Let's start with two hours a week. That's a very low commitment. Um, doing a course online or going to your community college or traveling to a conference or building your own app. Um, there's a ton of things that you can do to keep yourself up to speed and, and maintain your value to your company and to the industry as a whole. It's also important, I think, to not get too emotionally attached to these frameworks because from my experience in my first team, I'm like, yes, I learned Angular 1.0, like I really know it. And then by, you know, one year later, it was totally obsolete. So you have to value and, you know, don't feel bad like, oh, I'm not an expert anymore. There's obviously some skills you learn through these frameworks and some design patterns, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And your expertise comes in large part because you know how to learn, right? Like if you're an expert in something today, a true deep expert in a specific technology, you're not going to be an expert for long or you're going to be one of these stalwarts that are the sort of last people turning off the lights in a language, you know, I feel like, um, I won't pick on any specific ones, but you can, you can actually think about, um, which languages are sort of dying right now, even if they're legacy systems and people haven't moved off of them yet. Um, they aren't progressing. Some languages just aren't evolving. And so you don't want to pour all your energy into those ecosystems. I want to talk now about risks and taking small risks in the context of a job, a software engineering job, what are some small risks that an employee can take and what is the effect of those? Yeah, so I am a big fan of building out a really small MVP um, and then just showing your boss or your team and seeing what they think, right? It's much more difficult to convince someone of an idea when it, there's nothing in the game, right? There's nothing to look at. There's nothing to evaluate. Um, it becomes a lot more abstract and people just don't really respond to it in the same visceral way that they would uh, if you had a small example or product or, um, you know, a tool to just kind of build it out. So if you have an idea and it can be anything, right? It could be a way, a tool, an internal tool for your team. It could be a new language or framework. Um, whatever it is, take a really small bit of it and don't ask permission. Just 
build it out. You can work on it um, when you have time at work. You can work on it on your free time. Whatever it is, build out that little bit of an example so that you can give something to people to actually evaluate. Yes, and I want to point out that some people might be like, ah, does this mean that now I have to work until 10 p.m. or something? And I, I always tell them, not really. I mean, if you take 30 minutes of your day and do that for a month, you'll probably build a pretty decent internal tool, right? Or a script that simplifies things. And Absolutely. Absolutely. And it all compounds, right? If you are able to do that doing 30 minutes a day, um, which is really just like a coffee break um, or a small walk. So that's not a, a ton. Um, but you will be able to slowly build, just like you said. And if you can do that in that amount of time, then it also helps sell your company on things like hackathons. Or um, I know some companies for every three sprints or something, or every quarter, they have a two-week sprint dedicated to um, to just sort of play, you know, structured play. Like, what it, what are you curious about? What are you interested in? Go build that thing. Um, and you can get some really interesting products out of those. I want to switch gears a little bit now before we finish to the topic of technical interviews. What are some recommendations of handling questions you don't really know the answer to? That is an art form in and of itself. I have so many thoughts about technical interviews. <laughs> I think, so for one, I'll address the hiring manager and then I'll address the actual person. For the hiring managers, I think it's really important that the technical interview resemble the actual job. Um, if you're asking someone to build a new internet, yeah, let's talk about deep algorithms um, and, you know, whatever else, big O, pick your favorite um, technical whiteboard questions. But if you're hiring someone to build a web app in um, a relatively friendly language, uh, like a Ruby or a JavaScript or anything like that, then they don't necessarily need to know those things. It's useful, sure, that uh, knowledge is never going to be harmful. Um, but I think being open to different skill sets for different jobs is really important. And making sure that you are actually testing the competency and the skills that you need for that particular role will help you hire the right person for that role. Um, if you are interviewing, I think the first rule is to just calm down, right? It's every company has different standards and different approaches to this. If you bomb an interview at one company, it does not mean that you're a shitty developer, right? You had a bad day. It's not the role for you. Um, pick your favorite of the list of reasons, but it, it's not a reflection on you and your skills. Um, and so don't let anything destroy your confidence. It's just not the right role. And so once you sort of calm down, I think approaching interviews as just pair programming is a really solid approach, right? So how would you pair, right? If you are, are trying to solve a problem and you're not quite sure how to approach it, I would turn to my pair and I say, okay, my initial thought is this, but that feels wrong. Um, and I, I kind of don't know what direction to go in. Do you have any experience um, with this? Or do you have any kind of idea of what the first step should be? 
I don't think that's absurd of a question to ask any in an interview, right? And if they respond very negatively to that, remember that you're also interviewing them uh, and keep that in mind, right? I think in interviews, Googling things should be allowed. You know, I think <laughs> I'd say that Googling the easy things shouldn't be allowed. But at the same time, I mean, how many of us screw up those little commands or, conf- or confuse them? You know what I mean? And so just allowing people to use the resources that they would have in their everyday job. You know, you're not locking people into a room typically um, unless you're in some kind of government thing. There's not an air gap. So you have access to everything. Let them use the internet just like they would uh, in their everyday job. You touched on a couple of important points. One of them is you are also interviewing them. And the other one is try to calm down. And even if you don't know the answer to the question, at the end of the interview, if you don't get a job, you would have learned something that you can focus on next. Definitely, yes. Don't be afraid to ask people to uh, do mock interviews with you. You know, find someone who is highly technical and ask them to sit you down for 30 minutes and ask you a bunch of questions, you know. It's, it'll be scary, but a lot less scary than in the actual interview. You were a writer for many years. How is that similar coding. Is it similar? I, it's funny you ask because when I switched into software, I thought I had wasted all this time um, and that the skills from writing and communicating wouldn't transfer at all to tech. I was completely wrong. Um, certainly in my current role, because so much of my job is talking and communicating, um, a developer advocate and my role at Kickbox is... I not only evangelize our products and our approach to problems, um, but I also talk to the community and I find out what they're really excited about, what's coming down the pipe, and, and what our products at Kickbox should do to reflect that. Um, and so informing those decisions and advocating for the development community is a huge aspect of that. So certainly it helps in that specific role. Um, but even when I was a full-time engineer and um, developing daily, I think the ability to clearly communicate is applicable in tech too, right? Because our code runs on machines, but it is read by other humans. And so writing code that is not so abstract um, or confusing that someone else, regardless of experience level, can come in and, and mostly figure out what's going on, that's a huge skill. Um, I think that documentation is woefully undervalued in our industry. Um, it's sort of seen as an afterthought or something that less technical people do. I think that's absurd. Um, great documentation, especially if you're asking external developers or external users to be able to utilize um, something like an API, documentation is invaluable. Uh, and so again, like you're writing and communicating incessantly in our job. You just, you just aren't realizing it. I totally agree that documentation is very important because I've experienced it when trying to pick a framework, I go by whoever has the best documentation and Absolutely. And you can, you can make this. So I'm familiar with Ruby. It's one of my favorite languages. And a lot of people hate on Ruby because of, you know, pick a reason. But I think one of the reasons that Ruby has done so well um, is that 
they sort of decided as a community early on that, hey, we're not perfect, but we're going to be really open. We're going to be highly communicative. We're going to be welcoming to new developers. Um, and because of that, then you get to continue to develop the language and the ecosystem. And so that Ruby's evolved to the point now that it is a great language. Rails is a fantastic framework, and it works for many use cases. Um, certainly not all of them, but many of them. Uh, and so creating that community is, is absolutely invaluable. Well, Emily, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been a pleasure chatting with you too. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks to Blind for being a new sponsor of the show. Go to teamblind.com. That's teamblind.com to download the app and connect with other employees from your company. Check it out. 